Welcome to another episode of Following the Way. I'm your host, Jason Dickey. On this episode of Following the Way, I want to focus on the problem. The problem of death. As you have noticed from the way I've discussed topics and chosen topics in previous episodes, I like to try and focus on things that may be difficulties or questions that we have and trying to find the balance and understanding how to uh, determine what we should do or how we should study and, and those sorts of things. Well, in this episode, I'm not necessarily going to talk about that. But I do want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about what it is. And I want to talk about the problem that exists for every person. And that is the problem of death. Now, of course, this isn't just represented in the fact that we all die. That is ultimately the repercussion of it. But it's all the other sorts of issues and things that arise from the problem of death. For instance, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we get this book which is... Uh, part of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, and it deals with a lot of the issues that the wisdom literature deals with. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the innocent suffer? These sorts of heavy questions that so many of us as people deal with and struggle with. Well, the interesting thing about the book of Ecclesiastes is this repetition of the word hebel in Hebrew. It's hebel. Uh, It's frequently translated as vanity. I think that the issue with translating it as vanity is not that that's not a good word, but the word kind of contains more than that. And looking it up in different um, lexicons, the definitions that I saw were that it is a like a breath or a vapor. It's like mist. It's vanity. It is what is transient. It is ephemeral. It is profitless. I think that the idea here is that it's all those things kind of wrapped up together, that it's, it, it comes and goes, that there's no benefit to it, that there's this wispiness to life. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes is really kind of dealing with this naughty issue, the issue of life, the issue that we all deal with. And because we all die, because we all are going to perish, it changes the way we look at our lives and what we're trying to accomplish. And so In this first poem in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer says, starting in verse 4 of chapter 1, One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south, and turns around to the north. The wind whirls continually, and comes again on its circuit. Skipping down to verse 8, All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. I mean, what a sad, sorry state to exist in. That there's nothing new, there's nothing fresh, that there's no answer, that 
the wind comes and the wind goes, the sun rises, the sun sets, time passes on and we're forgotten. I mean, that's, that's what we're all afraid of. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes goes through all these different ways in which you can try and find a solution to that problem. You know, whether through having children or setting up monuments or doing something great. And in the end, he says it's all vanity. It's all this hebel, this breath, vapor, mist. It's all profitless. It's all ephemeral and transient. That's his conclusion as he goes through all these things, and I think we understand and recognize that. We can see that problem every day. And what makes it even worse is the way he says things like in chapter 2, verse 12, Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who succeeds the king? Then I saw only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. See, now you think that something great's going to happen. That wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. This is great. Verse 14, though, it says, The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is Hebel. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. That's the problem. Even if you talk about wisdom and folly, even if you talk about righteousness versus wickedness, we all die. We all perish. That's what we have before us. And understanding that, knowing the end, and knowing what's going to go ahead of us, it makes our day-to-day such a bigger struggle, doesn't it? Do you ever wonder why you were doing the job that you're doing? Why you're putting one foot in front of another day after day just trying to survive? Like, what's the point? It's depressing. It's discouraging. And the key there in chapter 1 that we read is that there's nothing new. Nothing new is going to happen. And so it's depressing. The only things that will come will be the things that have been done. And if you go to chapter 12 at the end, the end of this book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says... Remember now the Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim. Skipping down to verse 6, Remember your Creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Everything is ephemeral. Everything is beyond human control. Everything, humanity, and all that goes with it is ultimately hebel. Nothing lasts. Nothing will continue. All we have is hebel. And that's the way the book ends. Now, I understand our Bibles have a verses 9 through 14, or 9 through uh, 14, yeah. 
but in my research and studying different um, commentators on this book, is that that's an epilogue that was added later to the book, and that um, it seems like that was added on later to help kind of answer this problem, answer this question. So the book isn't quite so depressing. Now, that could be wrong. I'm not an expert on these things, and so don't take my word as gospel on that. But I do think it's interesting to look at what the answer is, even with this epilogue in verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man all, man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And you say, okay, that's all well and good. The answer is to fear God and keep his commandments. But does that actually answer the problem? Does it? Does God bringing everything to judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil, to judgment, does that actually answer the problem laid out in this book? I don't think it does. Now, I, I hope that isn't too discouraging to you all, but I think if you read through the wisdom literature in general, there is no answer given. There is no answer given to this problem. I mean, look at Job, who struggles with this very question. Job himself looks at this very issue and asks these questions. And in verse Job 30, verse 24, he says, Surely he, speaking of God, will not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins if they cry out when he destroys it. Have I not wept for him who is in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? But when I looked for good, evil came to me. And when I waited for light, then darkness came. Basically, he says, I did everything right as best I could, and yet bad things happened to me. He wants to know why these things are happening to him because he's done good. And do you know what God says when he answers out of the whirlwind in Job 40, starting in verse 6? It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like his? And then he goes on to basically say, you have no right to question me, Job. You have no right whatsoever to question the Lord God Almighty. So Job doesn't get an answer. The writer of Ecclesiastes doesn't give an answer. The wisdom literature as a whole does not provide the answer to this problem. I'm not saying that to be discouraging or disparaging. I think that the wisdom literature is invaluable in helping us understand the problem and understand some basic morality that we should have, that some things are true despite the problem. It does a good job of focusing on that. What's interesting, though, going back is that phrase, there's nothing new under the sun. Have you ever thought about that before? In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 31, the prophet Ezekiel was writing to the people in captivity in Babylonian captivity. And so he's there. These people are already in captivity. Jerusalem has not yet fallen at this point in the book. And so they're still kind of trying to cling to some hope that maybe Jerusalem can save them. But Ezekiel's basically saying, no, Jerusalem's going to fall. You're not going to be saved from Jerusalem. But in Ezekiel 18 and verse 31, he says, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Well, those people died. 
Some of them return, but, but they're dead. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, he tells him he's going to do something new. He's going to give him a new heart and a new spirit. Have you ever thought about what that means? Especially in the context of nothing new ever being done. This problem existing that makes life such a, such a tough thing to grind every day and push for your existence. Well, hopefully you know where I'm going. Hopefully you understand that there is an answer to this problem. That there is absolutely an answer to this problem. Even if you go to the New Testament, this is where it's revealed. This is where we see what God's solution is for us. He didn't tell us what it was in the wisdom literature. He simply said, trust me. Do what I say. And our God is a God of faithfulness who deserves our trust and loyalty, whether we know exactly how he's going to solve these problems or not. But in Acts chapter 13, we get this sermon in Cyprus. And starting in verse 26, it says, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. This is speaking about Jesus. Now when they fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up from Galilee to Jerusalem who are witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come to you beware behold you despisers marvel and perish for i work a work in your days a work which you will by no means believe though one were declare to declare it to you the gospel the answer to the problem marvel and perish for i work a work in your days a work which you will by no means believe i'm going to do something new Something that you've never seen and something that you won't believe because it is new. Because it's a marvel. It's different. It's the solution to the problem. The gospel is not that Jesus died. The gospel is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Yes, Jesus had to die to be the sacrifice for our sins. But if he had simply died, then nothing different has happened. Nothing new has occurred. It's his resurrection from the dead. It's his rising up to incorruption that is new, that is different, that solves the problem. 
his body coming back to life, never to be corrupted. Do you understand? Have you thought about that before? I mean, that's the answer to the problem. That's the answer to all these things. That Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection from the dead. In Romans chapter 8, we get some interesting things here. Some interesting passages. Interesting verses. Some of these are very encouraging to Christians. Uh, Romans 8 is a very encouraging chapter. But in Romans 8 verse 28, we get a verse that is used quite oftentimes to apply to things that I don't think Paul is getting at in Romans 8. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That's comforting, right? All things work out for good. But what does that mean? Because we look around and we still see suffering. We still see death. We still see wicked people being punished and righteous people prospering. So how do you find equilibrium? How do you find balance? How do you find hope in that? Well, by Romans 8, 28, right? Knowing that all things work out to good. But what does that mean? Well, go back to the beginning of the chapter. Go back to the beginning of Romans 8, starting in verse 1, where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin, the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I want you to notice something here. This is all about resurrection. This is all about living after death. About having life. Having peace. About being resurrected. But I also want you to notice something else. These eight verses... When it talks about flesh, it's not talking about physical. That's not the idea. He's not contrasting physical versus ephemeral. What he's doing here is contrasting hebel versus the spiritual. He's, he's contrasting what continues to exist versus what does not. And there's a difference. There's a difference between those two things. He's talking about the things that are carnally minded, lusts, passions, things that are not good, things that are not righteous versus things that are righteous. He's contrasting lust lust, and he's contrasting purity. He's contrasting love and he's contrasting hate. That's the difference between those two words. Nothing in that is saying physical versus ethereal. And yet sometimes we read that into this, that spirit versus flesh means physical versus ephemeral. But what is resurrection? It's a body coming back to life. It's Jesus coming out of the grave. And that's what it proves that he is the Son of God. I mean, you read it in Acts 13. That's what establishes that he has continued to exist, that we can be forgiven. And that's actually what solves the problem. Do you see that? Do you understand that without having the resurrection of the dead, 
Everything we believe in is Hebel. It's vanity. It's transient. It's wispy. It's gone. The answer to the problem is something new. Not just that God is going to forgive our sins, but God is going to resurrect us from the dead. That he is going to allow us to continue to exist. The resurrection is the gospel, and it is the answer to the problem. I mean, we don't have to read very much in the book of Acts to see that that's the case. In Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 29, Peter there in the first gospel of sermon says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He says in verse 31, That his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. He was risen from the dead. His body did not see corruption. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart. The resurrection of the dead is the gospel. It is the answer to life's problem. Otherwise, if this body doesn't continue to exist, then don't you see how everything is still Hebel? That there's no purpose? There's no meaning? If all this is just gone, then there's no connection between what we do and what we will be. But if we continue, if there is resurrection, then now our lives are infused back with meaning. Now everything matters. Now the way that we live and the way that we walk, the things that we say, the way that we work are all testaments to who we are, to who we need to be. And if you don't believe me, flip a page over to Acts chapter 3 and verse 14 where it says, But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse 19, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Restoration of all things. Restoration. Resurrection. Refreshing. That's the language here in Acts 3. That's the idea being raised back up into life and into glory. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 9. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Every single gospel sermon has one thing in common, and that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That is the answer to life's problems. That is the answer to the problem of death. Yes, we may die, but resurrection promises us life after death. And to be more exact, to borrow a phrase from 
N.T. Wright, who talks a lot about life after life after death. We will be spiritually resurrected in baptism and then resurrected again for eternity. So life after life after death. So we are sinners who are baptized and raised up anew to life. And then we die and then we are raised up again in the flesh uh, for eternity. Life after life after death. This is the answer. This is the new thing that came to solve the problem of the vanity of the world. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we get the great resurrection chapter of the Bible, written by the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. What he's saying is, we have no hope without the resurrection of the dead. We have no answer to the problem without Christ coming from the dead. Verse 35, he goes on to say, How were the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another flesh of fish, and another flesh of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. He goes on to say, verse 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, is raised in corruption. There's a transformation that occurs, there's no doubt. But we are raised from the dead. There is resurrection of the dead. That's the promise of Jesus, who is the first fruits of our resurrection. And that is the answer to the problem. That is the thing that we need to remember. He goes on to say in this chapter, verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, Where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How does he finish that chapter? By saying that we remain steadfast in our work of the Lord because our labor is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because of the resurrection of the dead. That is the thing that puts meaning back into our lives. That is the answer to the hebel, to the problem of this world, to the problem of death. Life after life after death. That's what we need to remember. That's what we need to focus on and understand that we will be resurrected, and that that is the answer to life's problems. I hope you understand that, and I hope that this has been 
beneficial as we talk about those things. There's so many things to discuss, so many things to look at, and so many passages that are worth reading. I encourage you to do reading on your own, to read through the book of Acts, to read Acts 13 and Acts 4 and Acts 3 and Acts 2, to look at those things and look at what the gospel contains. Read all of 1 Corinthians 15 and pay particular attention to what it says about the resurrection of the dead. Go back and read through all of Romans 8 and read it with a thought in the back of your head about the resurrection and see what that triggers to you as you look at that. Go back and read through the wisdom literature, Psalm 73 and the book of Job and Ecclesiastes and and look at the problems that are described there and, and see if you can find the answer in resurrection and see if that satisfies the answer to the problem. There are so many things about this that are worth our consideration and worth our time. And so hopefully this has been a jumping off point for you. A jumping off point for you as you try to seek and find the answer to life's problems. This podcast has not been intended to evangelize or to teach people the gospel that have not heard it. But hopefully it is something that as a Christian, as you listen to it, that it strikes a chord with you, that it encourages you, particularly this message here of resurrection. I know very well that life is difficult and tedious, that having to maintain a a 40-hour-a-week job and work and uh, do all the things you have to do to kind of survive in this world and raising a family and those things, I know that that's tough. I know that's tedious. But the thing in the back of my mind that has always helped me with these things is focusing on the resurrection and knowing that it all matters that it's not Hebel, it's not vanity, that there is a very real solution to the problem, a solution that is real, that infuses our lives back with meaning. And I see it on every page, every single page of the Bible. And so that's my assignment to you all uh, over the next couple days and weeks. As you read your Bibles, just pay attention and think about the resurrection and see if you can find the resurrection on every page of the Bible. Uh, See if you can find that as a solution, and just keep that in the back of your mind as you study. And of course, if you have any questions about the things that I've said here, you know, feel free to write in to followingthewaypodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I hope you all have a great day. Thank you for your time, and bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode of Following the Way. As always, I appreciate your time and look forward to hearing from you. You can get in contact with the show at followingthewaypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.